Getting sober requires a lot more than mind over matter, a lot more than willpower. It's about leveraging the support around you. People in recovery typically need a mix of medical help, emotional support, and changes in lifestyle to manage their addiction, not just mental determination. As both a therapist and someone embracing the recovery lifestyle, there's one tool I always recommend to people needing extra accountability, Soberlink. Soberlink is a high-tech breath analyzer system designed to help you get and stay sober. And here's why I love it. You'll test the same day every day, eliminating testing anxiety. Friends and family receive instant test results, helping you rebuild trust and preventing relapse. Accountability is a part of that, and it's something to really be embraced. Devices have built-in facial recognition, so your support circle knows you're testing, and tamper-resistant sensors flag any attempts at trying to beat the system, so your sobriety is never questioned. So let 2024 be your best year yet. Visit Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M to sign up and receive $50 off your device. That's Soberlink.com forward slash T-A-M. And let accountability be your guide. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and 6-1 since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey, well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble with exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind podcast. Once again, we are on to another episode my name is Dwayne Osterlin, and I'm your host. And our guest today is Barry Lehman. He is going to talk about his book, Mastering Recovery. And what is special about this episode is Barry is going to talk about creating long-term recovery. Recovery after maybe, say, the first two years of sobriety. And he's going to talk about what that looks like how we master that or gain mastery to be able to live our best life and find joy and happiness in that space of recovery. I have to say, I can just feel Barry's joy as we talk about all these issues. And it was just really refreshing to have a conversation with him. And I really enjoyed it. I hope you all enjoy it as well. All right, let's go ahead and start it. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Addicted Mind Podcast. My guest today is Barry Lehman, and we're going to talk about mastering recovery and long-term recovery, what it takes to get there, and all that kind of stuff. So... Barry, you want to introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about you and your story and how you got here. Sure. Sure. Th thanks, Dwayne. It, it's a real joy to be here. I, people say I like to talk about myself too much, but that's probably because I'm in, re there's still that part of me that isn't totally in recovery, I guess. Oh, I, I think Seriously. it's good. I'm, I'm, I'm glad that you're here and you're glad you're willing to share your story. Well, I, I'm a retired pastor. And I was in the ministry. I was a parish pastor when I discovered, 
discovered, I guess, is the best way to describe that I was an alcoholic, that I had this uh, uh, unhealthy relationship with alcohol. And I went into a treatment program. This was 33 years ago. It's coming up on, well, it'll be 33 years in about 30 days, actually. Wow, congratulations. Um, well, thanks. Uh, I went into a program for uh, that was for impaired professionals. That way I didn't have to say I was going in for treatment. And I spent 30 days there and then six months in their continuing aftercare program. Stayed in the ministry. I was there at that congregation another 11 years after wow. I got sober. A lot of good things happened there as a result, not just in terms of recovery, but I was healthy and I learned how to be healthy. And I think I could share that with others. In the middle of that, I then went for my doctor of ministry and counseling. And at that point, got my certification and then license as an alcohol and drug counselor. So I've been doing that for 28 years now as well. Oh, uh, I awesome. still work very part-time. I'm, I'm retired specifically, but I'm still doing that part-time as a counselor doing weekends mainly. One question that just came up for me. Sure. As a pastor and having this problem, that must have been hugely challenging to like get support <laughs> and come out. I, I think sometimes in leadership positions, and struggling with an addiction comes with a lot of lot of stuff. There is a lot of stuff. And I was surprised, although looking back, I shouldn't have been, that there wasn't as much stuff as I expected there to be. Uh, the congregation, and I speak very highly, they're mentioned in my book here. They've been mentioned in other books. They were just a fantastic group of people who loved me and cared for me. And argued with me, but still, I mean, we, we had a very good relationship. I discovered that if I was open and upfront and honest, I mean, I didn't go into all the details of what, of my right, life right. as a, as an alcoholic, but we got some people in from, uh, uh, the Episcopal church nearby, er, er, in the diocese nearby. We were not Episcopalian, but that's how I got into the pro, into treatment was through a program they had. And we did a two-week sessions, uh, what is alcoholism, what is addiction, how, is it, how do congregations meet it? And toward the end, one of the people, big burly guy, stood up and said, thank you for all this, but it's time for us really to move on with Barry and do what we're supposed to do. We love him, and we're going to move forward. And that was, that was how the life went. Wow. It was, it was great. It was great. I was known in town. They knew I was a minister in town. Obviously, it wasn't a large city. I was involved in, in AA meetings in the community. In fact, my home meeting was uh, in the basement of my own congregation, my own building. Wow. Uh, I used to laugh. I'd go from confirmation class on the third floor and down to choir rehearsal and then to my AA meeting all on the same <laughs> night. And oh, I lived that... across the street. So, so yeah, it was it was exciting. It was really exciting. And then I began to work part-time as, as an alcohol and drug counselor in the community in an outpatient program. And it was a tough thing to leave there. I celebrated my 11th anniversary sober and, <laughs> and moved the next day to a new congregation. So, Wow. Wow. Thank you so, so much for sharing that. I mean, it's, it's just awesome to see, you know, we can reach out for help and there's people out there that will support us. And sometimes we feel like no one can, but the people are out there. 
there's a stigma out there and it's still there. I mean, there's no question yeah. about it. It's not as bad as it used to be. Some of the leaders of the denomination did say, well, you know, you're going to have to move now because they're not going to necessarily be able to stay here after announcing that you're an alcoholic. And I said, well, my doc says you shouldn't move for at least a year. <laughs> so we'll wait and see see what happens. And and then so 11 years later, I finally took the advice and moved. <laughs> good, for, good for you. So today we're going to talk about a, a specific topic, which I'm really excited to talk about. You have a book out there called Mastering Recovery, and it's all about long-term recovery. I mean, we talk right. a lot about getting sober in the beginning, but we're going to talk about today about mastering recovery after two years, creating that life that you want and, and what that means. So tell me uh, a little bit what inspired you to, to write this book and put it out there. And Well, a couple of things happened. The basic underlying thing is there's very little written on that I've found anyway about long-term recovery. Even books that purport to be talking about how to stay sober in the long term spend two-thirds of the book talking about how to get sober. Right, and so right. it's, you know, you go through that over and over. And that's great. I mean, I'm not denying, I mean, I worked in primary treatment, so I know how important that is. But what happens is the real nitty gritty down and dirty way of staying sober beyond two years isn't very often talked about. It's kind of assumed, well, you continue to do what you did. And that's not true because we change. I changed drastically over those first two years inside me, understanding. Right. And that we all do. I mean, that's <laughs> when you stop and look at it, you know, we've, we've had this crazy lifestyle of using of whatever. And then we have to find out how to live again. Yeah. And that isn't the, that isn't the same. <laughs> so the first year, what you go through is, the first Christmas, the first Thanksgiving, the first this, the first birthday, the first Fourth of July without alcohol. And then the second year, you go, okay, now I'm doing it the second time and I'm learning what all these things mean. And then by the time you hit the beginning of the third year, you go, now what? Where do right, I go yeah. next? And you don't just do what you used to do, only do it sober. If that's all you're doing, you may get healthy. You will get healthy. I mean, if you continue it, but you'll still have a lot of cravings. You'll still have, or at least more often, you'll have mental and emotional relapses. I was having them regularly. You know, if something didn't go right and I'm going, ah, I want to drink or whatever. In fact, that wow. happened in the past year. Not quite that bad, but I got into some of that old thinking behaviors in the midst of the pandemic. Yeah. Uh, and it took, it took my wife looking at me saying, do you want a drink? And I said, well, no, that's the furthest thing from my mind. And I said, but you're right. This is old behavior. So that was the first reason why I wrote the book. So from there where I went, I just kept building this recovery as my mind cleared. And it takes up to two years or longer, depending on the substance. Some substances, it will take longer than that. But a, fr a friend of mine, one of my old sponsors, used to say, you get the recovery you deserve at 10 years. And everybody would look at him, myself included. You mean I got to wait that long? And the truth is, it takes that long to truly l learn how to live this. 
Malcolm Gladwell in his in his famous book on the tipping point and outliers and others talks about 10,000 hours that you've got to do to become good at something and figuring how much per week, et cetera, that you can devote in general, 10,000 hours is about 10 years. Wow. I, I didn't even think about that. That's interesting. And that was the first little bit of information that I thought about. 10 years, 10,000 hours doing what? Practicing. <laughs> Practicing my new lifestyle. Practicing something different. And it was only about seven or eight years ago when I went. I'm a trumpet player. I've been a trumpet player for years since I was 13. And I've played through all these years. But I finally went to a, a trumpet camp and a big band camp. And I learned how to really practice. I learned what the whole idea of being a trumpet player, musician, was all about. And that's where the idea of mastery began to, to the, the ideas behind it began to, I began to see that's what I had done for, at that point, 20 years, 25 years, to stay sober. I just kept practicing sobriety. So it's like... You have this old lifestyle that you've been going, living, you're getting sober, you get through the first two years, which is kind of, that's that can be a real difficult time. And then what you're saying is now starting to build the skill set that you need to live your best self, to, to be yourself. Kind of what we were, before we were recording, we were talking about that, just, you know, this is something you can practice. This is something you can do. You can gain mastery over. And and while I don't, I tend not to want to use the term mastery when talking to people with less than two years, because because the grandiosity of of the uh, thinking is, well, I can just master it and I'm fine, which isn't really what it's about. Mastery, as defined in a couple of different books, Anders Ericsson has a book called Peak. And uh, Dan Pink has one called Drive. They're about getting better at something important to you. That's what mastery is, because you can never reach mastery. You're always a beginner. You always right. have something to learn. I'm still we're learning at 33. We're always we're right. always working on our life and ourselves. Yeah, I'm pra I'm still practicing. If you want the art of recovery, I haven't figured out how to do it most days. I just keep doing it over and over again. And so that's the path of mastery. You keep practicing. I learned this from my trumpet mentor, mentors. You just keep practicing. You, you focus on the basics. You make sure you know how to do them. And then every time you hit some kind of plateau where you think things are so-so, eh, I've gone as far as I can go, that's when you're ready to begin again. That's when you move. When you think you've come to the end, you're only just beginning. Right, right. And that happens on a regular basis in, in learning to play the trumpet. It happens in recovery. Every month, somewhere during that month, I scratch my head and think, what am I doing? Why am I doing this? What do I need to practice? Uh, one of the greatest things that I think the 12 steps can teach us is how to do a personal inventory. The, the essential role of being self-aware of what I'm doing. And it's not just to say I'm sorry when I do something wrong. It's what do I need to do better this week? What was the one thing I did great last week? How can I use that to get better next week? 
I, I, it made me think about intentional learning, like that we, we look at what's not working and we intentionally work towards improvement in that. And slowly over time, we maybe get better at that skill set because we're, we're paying attention to it and we're looking at it. We're looking at where it's not working. We're also looking at it where it is working and we make those right. changes slowly over time. And that takes a, a, a change of mindset. That takes a, going from a fixed mindset to a growth mindset. I can grow. I can be better. I can change. And too often, I think, we get stuck in the idea of powerlessness that says, I can't do anything, which is not what the first step says. Uh, right, right. I, it, it doesn't say, because it, it goes on if you read the big book. And, you know, the 12 steps saved my life. So, but, you know, I, I also believe, by the way, that all the other successful programs use the same principles. They're all built on the same principles, whether they're spiritual, religious, or secular. And it, that's that honesty. Yeah. That I can't yep. control this by myself, but I can be empowered. I can find power from others, from a program, from within me, from my higher power, whatever you want to call that, from rational thinking, from developing mindfulness. It goes on and on and on. All the different ways I can discover my powers. Right. And those skills and those things that I need to do. Can you right. name a, a few of those or, or give some concreteness to maybe some of those skills that, you know, someone who's out there listening and they're like, okay, right. yeah, we're talking about, you know, improving, improving what, what do I improve? And, you know, <laughs> it's been two, two years. I'm at two years. I'm at two and a half years or three years. What am I supposed to improve? Good question. I mean, and I think that's what, that's the hardest point to begin with because we think everything's going well now. And it is. I mean, I'm, I'm not denying that. Right. I felt great at two years, except one day I came home and my wife and I got into it. And this was just about two to two and a quarter years. And we got into a discussion that turned into an argument. And then I just broke down and started crying. I said, I'm going to meetings every single day or six days a week, five days a week still. And yet, when I'm not at the meeting, I'm not feeling good. And it ended up that I was, now this was a long time ago, and there was the only antidepressant approved for use with addicts and alcoholics was Prozac. Right. <clears throat> because everything else was Valium and all the benzodiazepines. You, know, you don't use those. And so I went back to the addictionologist and talked to him. I discovered I was depressed. Yeah. And it was yeah. my whole life. So the me mental health is one of the big issues. Fortunately today there's a lot of more a lot more mental health being done in treatment programs. Yeah. There's there's far wider acceptance than there was 30 years ago. And Prozac had only been around for a couple of years at that point. They didn't think about it. They said let's wait a year or two to see if you're still depressed, which is what happened and it worked. So, once I got that out of the way, now, some people will tell you you can't take any of those and, and be sober. That's not true. Right, uh, right. I think the mental health issues are, are that's that's but that's the biggest one. I think after two years, we begin to discover what's wrong 
with our daily thinking. It may just be depression. It may be other things. I was also thinking like, you know, at this time after you've been able to have some time away from the addiction, these other maybe under, like you said, underlying issues, if you have childhood trauma or depression or another mental health issue, they're going to come to the surface and and you've got to deal with this in a new way. Right. And today we deal with that far, far better than treatment did years ago. Uh, yes. Trauma-informed treatment is, while that's a buzzword, it's also very real and needs to be. But it's not something that says you got to deal with it yesterday. It's got to be at the right time. And that's often within the first two years. But by the time they get to the end of those two years, now you're just you. And life is, it's okay. It's kind of gray. Yeah. And you're not used to, you want the highs and lows. And anything in between is kind of blah. So how do you fill that up? What's important to that? And that's the next phase of that is it says, I can begin to make choices about what I want to do in my life. Powerlessness yeah. does not mean choiceless. Right. And and I, I, I see that a, a lot too, that like comparing the present life to that, the good times in the past life, not necessarily the bad times, right. but the good times and then trying to compare those two and they don't line up and, and starting to realize like this is a different way of being. There's different satisfaction. Yeah that comes with as you as you pursue your mental health right and and so what is it you want to do with your life is another question so you begin to do things you begin to try things maybe you get involved in in local activities in your community maybe you do something like i really wanted to take a a course in conversational spanish and they have it at my at my community college maybe i want to do something with yoga or tai chi i'm a big fan of tai chi I think getting into that activity and learning about nutrition, learning about movement, learning about exercise is a big step that many of us need to take at that two-year mark, if not before. But when we can really dig into it, yeah. reading, writing, arithmetic, whatever. I mean, what is it that I'm excited about in life or can become excited about in life? It's almost like you have to actively explore these options you have right. to which is different from when you're in the addictive phase of right. stuff because you're just reactive and this is right. more oh, yeah. Yeah. more intentional like we were talking about a little bit earlier more focused more you're building something right you're building your life is what you're doing yeah and as you practice these different things you begin to find meaning and purpose so those are the three areas of, of mastery. Well, it's actually motivation, but it starts with the ability to do it. It becomes the practice time, and it's practice, 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 and it gets boring sometimes, and it can be a pain in the neck in other places, but it's there, and you just keep practicing. You get the feedback. You talk to people, honest feedback, critical feedback. You take your own inventory every couple of weeks. How am I feeling about this? How's it doing? what I did with this new book, Mastering Recovery, which is, I said, I'm only not going more than 15% of the book is about first two years. And all I did with the, that 15% was talk about what is the disease and what is recovery. I defined those two. And then I right. moved into how do you live that beyond that. And, and that's where you begin to do the practice. 
you begin to figure it out and you have a choice and you keep practicing. And in that practice, as you develop awareness of yourself and those around you, you develop a sense of meaning and purpose. There are guys who go to AA meetings at 30 years as if they're new and their main job is to be there to help the newcomer. That's their meaning and purpose. And I really respect them. I can't do that, partly because I do that every day of the week when I was working right. full time. But but it's real important for them to do that. And I'm I'm I support them a hundred percent. But many have other they may find new meaning in their job, they may find new meaning in their family, wherever it is. And I was gonna say, you know, also that there there's kind of I don't know, sometimes there's this belief that we can have where, you know, we're going to get sober and meaning is going to strike us like a lightning bolt and we'll, we'll have our purpose and it'll just come down on us. And, and maybe that happens for some people, maybe that happens for some people, but I, I think the majority of us have to do this process of taking time to explore and find and create what's meaningful. Mine kind of began to drop in on me at about six months. A member of my congregation, a parent called me about this person and said their relatively new wife just left them. They're having trouble and they're drinking a lot. Can I meet you over at their place? And I said, okay. So I made my first 12 step call <laughs> six months sober. Right. And, uh, I came home after 10, I took him to a local treatment center that night. And I, I, to the best of my knowledge, he's still sober today. So that's 32 years for him. But I came home that night and it was like, wow, that was something. And I began to think about going on becoming, getting my degree, my doctorate in ministry in counseling and become a counselor. And that became a sense of meaning for my life. Yeah. And it was exciting. But it, that took another three years before I got my degree and I had to get more sobriety and I had to learn and practice and practice and practice. And, and as you do it, it becomes more and more meaningful. And as you, and right. that's where I think like what you're saying, that practice comes in, that effort, the patience. All of, the, all of and, those things that sometimes yeah. we don't want to have. And those are part of the problem of building mastery. It takes patience and it takes a lot of patience. I often say, don't pray for patience. God will make you wait. And, uh, <laughs> I, I love that statement. I, I love that statement. And that's what happened to me. Come on, God, I want this. And it didn't come yet. Yeah. Um, yeah. It, but it's it, the, whole, the whole process... I look back and I'm excited and I, I look forward to practicing different things in my life that give my life hope and meaning and joy. I think that's the switch somewhere along in those years of recovery. You're no longer staying sober. You're now living recovery. It's a lifestyle. It's who we are. Sometimes during the first few years or even the first few months of somebody in treatment, for example, they'll say, I just don't want to think about recovery tonight. Or, you mean I'm going to have to sit in those meetings forever and talk about recovery? And, you know, and I kind of smile and go, yeah, maybe. But someday, <laughs> hopefully, it will become who you are. 
Yeah. I'm a person in recovery. Everything. I said this last weekend at work to somebody, and I said, there is no such thing as recovery neutral activity. Yeah. It either supports your recovery or it doesn't. After a few years, you begin to get rid of most of the recovery negative. Uh, we know right. what a lot of them are in the first two years. Getting into a relationship in the first six months is one. Yeah. Uh, you know, the, all the ones that we talk about, uh, still going to the bar and, and having supper, sitting at the bar. Yeah, it, that's that's not a good thing. It's not. Yeah, gonna, but I never yeah. drank like that. But you know, that's not the point. So it's building yeah. that list of things that are recovery positive. What can I do today to strengthen my recovery for tomorrow? Yeah. And, and those are the activities that you begin to develop. And then you, you, once you've identified them, you practice them and you keep doing them yeah. day in and day out. And, and, and you're, you know, become aware. Oh, I was just going to say, as you're talking, I just, I can sense the, the joy that you have in your life as you've built this just in your voice as you talk about it it's amazing i'm amazed every day another old sponsor of mine he had a line in the promises you'll be amazed before we're halfway through he used to say i'm amazed so i'm not even halfway through yet and that's true we're still growing we're still new i i like to say you ain't seen nothing yet this recovery life is even when you're angry and upset or frustrated, you begin to learn how to deal with those. And that's part right. of the practice. You go to talk to somebody, you get feedback. When I got angry at one point, uh, when I wanted to drink, this was at about 13 years sober. So this thing happened and I said, why bother? And at that point, I, I just laid my head down and said, because this life is pretty good. I better do something about this. Wow. And so I called yeah. my, I told my wife, I called my boss, uh, the president of our denomination, told him what was going on. And I went back to six meetings a week. Yeah. Yeah. Because uh, I had to go back to the basics, back to the basics. Every but then time. that's also, that is also a sign of your, that stronger recovery like now this is right. this recovered life is is really worth fighting for i'm really enjoying it and you know mental health issues anxiety depression other things you know life shows up and can throw sure. us for a loop but we can say well no this is worth it and life will throw us for a loop yeah i think the it past does. 18 months has proven that to us yeah. ever so clearly and I, I thought I was doing a great job because I'm retired anyway. So I, you know, I don't mind sitting at home writing and playing on the computer and playing my trumpet. But it was in the midst of that that I had that incident with my wife where she said, are you wanting to drink? No, but it's really important to know those other signs as well. And to have people who will tell you and you'll go, oh, I got to listen. I got to have that awareness of myself and my world of who I am. That's long-term recovery. I don't know whether normal people, and I don't generally like that term, but people who don't have an addiction or substance use problem, I don't know how they cope with everyday life. Probably about right. the same as, as any of the rest of us, but 
I don't know what they do. I know what I can do thanks to recovery. Yeah. Yeah. Like the, and, and having, and the, having those, the, the skill sets in there. And, and I imagine yeah. if, if someone's grown up with that kind of structure, maybe they do it automatically. <laughs> I don't know. But, yeah. uh, those of us that maybe didn't, didn't get all that, we got to get the skills to do it. And there's nothing wrong with not having gotten that. It can yeah. be all kinds of reasons. My, my mother, I, mine started out with my father having a brain tumor surgery on my 10th birthday. Three years later, my mom died and when I was six, 13. And three years later, my dad died when I was 16. So oh, it, wow. you know, just even other issues aside, just having those things happen between the ages of 10 and 16 is enough to cause problems. Absolutely. That's nothing that I, I don't have to feel ashamed of that. I don't have to say, oh, oh I'm so bad. I couldn't cope with my mom's death. <laughs> Of course you couldn't. You were 13 years old. Yeah. And being able to to realize that and put all those pieces right. together. And I think sometimes, you know, in the first two years of recovery, you can't, we, we can't always put all those pieces together in, in a way no. that's meaningful, that helps us move through it, past it, beyond it, transcend it, whatever we want to call, until we're living our, our best life and creating our best life. Right. And if you're lucky enough to have good people around you, have been in through good treatment and good therapy, you'll be able to put lay down the stepping stones that'll keep you growing in that area. I did some of that with my parents' deaths while I was in those first two years, but I never really dealt with some of them until four, five, six years down the road because I wasn't ready. And that's okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That's, that's just how we work as human beings. For whatever reason that is, yeah, Maybe we'll yeah. discover one day. I don't know, but wow. Well, Barry, I know we could talk about this for a, <laughs> a, a long time and uh, dig into it even more. One, one quick, one thing I want to add about the book. I was going to say this earlier, but I've also put together, and it's going to be for those who buy the book, they'll get a link to, I put together a three week journal, getting started journal with three weeks of, of daily prompts and ideas and comments of building, taking a look at yourself and building into recovery. If people buy the book, there's a link there to get a free PDF download. It's also going to be available the end of October as a paperback book. Anybody wants to buy a paperback book. But I thought that was an important piece of how do you move from where you are into an idea of mastery. So that's the other piece of this book. It's, a, it's this journal. That, and Hopefully, I'm looking forward to doing some more things with maybe webinars or other things down the line. Whatever feedback I get from people is going to be important to what I do next with it. Wow, that's great. And having those practical steps sometimes can really help us just take action because we can just say, just do this. So I totally appreciate that. One of the questions before, I, before we completely wrap up, one of the questions I, I love to ask is, you know, if you can, someone's out there, maybe they are in this, you know, they've had two years of recovery, they're struggling, what's next? And you could tell them one thing, one thing that you'd want them to know, what would be the one thing you would, you would give them? Stick with it. Because just when you think you've reached as far as you can go, you're only at the beginning. 
and and there's so much more ahead of you. Don't stop. Winston Churchill's famous line, if you're going through hell to get through it, just keep moving. And I think that's really what, that's the biggest word I would give to anybody. Don't give up. It's going to be difficult at times. You need the persistence. You, you need the movement. But just keep going. You ain't seen nothing yet. Oh, awesome. Awesome, Barry. Where where can people find you, find your book? How can they get a hold of you? Well, the book's on Amazon, and there's a, a Kindle version as well as paperback and a hardback. Later in the month, there will also be an audiobook version of it, read by me. That's all on Amazon.com. Search for Mastering Recovery with my name. The website isn't completely ready. It isn't completely it isn't completed yet, but it's there's stuff there. There's links there at www.balehman.com. www.balehman.com. Awesome. I will put all of that in the show notes as well. So if you don't remember okay. it, go to theaddictedmind.com and you'll be able to click on the link there and, and get it and, and find Barry's book on mastering recovery. Barry, thank you for coming on, sharing your wisdom and your passion and your joy with uh, living our best life. Hey, you're welcome. And thank you. This is important. People die from this disease and they die after many years of it if they haven't found how to do recovery for themselves. And I'm, I'm hoping that fewer people will die as a result and find the joy that's really there. Oh, thank you, Barry. All right, everyone. Thank you for listening to the Addicted Mind podcast. As usual, all the show notes will be at theaddictedmind.com. And there you can get all of the links to Barry's website and his book. And once again, if you are enjoying the Addicted Mind podcast, please rate and review us in iTunes. It really does help get the podcast a lot of exposure, helps people find the podcast. And I really do appreciate it. And it helps me know that this podcast is important and that people are getting a lot out of it and it's valuable. So thank you to everyone who's been able to do that. I really appreciate it. And if you want to continue the conversation online, think about joining our Facebook group. Just go to Facebook and type in the Addicted Mind podcast and click join. All right, everyone. Have a wonderful rest of your day. And I will talk to you on the next episode. Oh, hey, it's Erin. And I'm Michaela, and we're the hosts of the Two Sober Girls podcast, and we are on a mission to spill the wild truth about sobriety. Forget the rosé all day cliche. Sobriety is flipping amazing. Absolutely. It's not just about quitting the drink. It's a gift you give yourself and your loved ones. So what are you waiting for? Break up with that old toxic relationship with alcohol and let us show you the possibilities. And here's the thing. Everything your precious heart desires becomes way easier without the influence of alcohol. We're not just two sober girls. We're also wellness coaches. We're here to show you how to optimize health, lifestyle, and beauty. Feel sexy and alive as F. 
So stay tuned because we're rolling out new episodes every Monday, wherever you get your podcasts and trust us. They have your name written all over them. We can't wait to share the magic of sobriety and wellness with you. Subscribe to Two Sober Girls Podcast today and come follow us on Instagram for behind the scenes action and send us a DM. We can't wait to meet you.